And uh, I'm going to begin a, a series I'm calling Christmas, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. And I want to tell you the truth about Christmas today. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be like a doctor. And I'm going to give you the divine diagnosis on the condition of men and why we needed a Savior. And I want to call it Christmas Mercies. Because Christmas is an act of mercy. And it's an act of grace. And we're so thankful for the mercies and the grace of God. Amen? But let me just tell you the truth about it. Let's look at, uh, we're going to read out of Matthew 1, 20 to 21. An angel is appearing to Joseph, who is upset, understandably, that his bride-to-be is pregnant. Not by him. How could this be? Well, God sent an angel. And let's read what the angel said to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her, read it with me everyone, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Next week I'm going to deal with Christmas miracles. And that's the miracle. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But now today it goes on. And she will have a son. And you're to name him, say it everybody, Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That's why he'll be called Jesus. His ministry, his purpose will be to save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christmas mercies. Thank you, Lord, for dealing with that which only you could deal with and only you could fix, for we could not fix it. Speak to us today, open our eyes, and help us to understand why Christmas happened. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tell your neighbor, perk up and listen. This is going to be an eye-opener. Oh, I want you to notice something today. And I, 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 you know, I think we just need to hear what the Bible has to say about Christmas, not what our culture has to say. What does the Bible say? The truth about Christmas is easily found in the scriptures. Now, I want you to notice the word save. He will save his people from their sins. That was the angel's reason for the coming of Jesus. Now, that word save comes from a Greek word that means this, very important. It means to heal. It means to make whole. You will call his name Jesus, for he will heal and make whole his people who have been afflicted by their sin. Now, I want you to notice that the angel's message presumed something. It presumed that the human race was broken. It presumed that the human race was sick. It presumed that the human race was in trouble. For he will save his people. He will rescue his people from their sins. So from heaven to earth comes an angel to Joseph and tells him why this little teenage Jewish girl is pregnant with that which was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the human race is sick. Jeremiah said the whole heart is sick. The whole head is faint. The diagnosis of heaven on the condition of humanity was not, I'm okay, you're okay. It was we needed a savior. We needed a real answer. Scripture portrays the very first Christmas very differently than we do. 
It was more than lights and more than presents and more than caroling and decorations and a little baby in a manger who draws out our sympathies due to the harsh conditions and surroundings in which he was born. Those being there was no room for him in the end, so he was born in a manger which was a feed trough. And so we see little babies in mangers and nativity scenes and all this all over the country, and I think that's great, but that's not heaven's message about Christmas. To the angel, the birth of Jesus was a rescue mission. The coming of Jesus was a divine invasion into enemy territory to deliver prisoners from certain doom. Jesus' arrival was to a burning house in which all the inhabitants were perishing and he came to lead us into safety. It was not just a little sympathetic scene. It was a 911 in the mind of God. In God's eyes, Christmas was something that took place to save us from certain doom and destruction. That's why Jesus came. It's not just a sentimental holiday or a time to get off from work for vacation or to gather around a Christmas tree. I want you to understand today, I want us to go out and tell people that the reason Christmas happened was to save us from our sins. And I've learned a long time ago, I don't care what people think near as much as I care what God thinks. And here's what God says about the condition of the human race. He will save and heal and make whole His people from the damage done to them by sin. Now what we're about to see is the Bible's diagnosis of you and me and all of humanity before we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, what do you mean, Pastor Jeff, by the damage done to us by sin? I don't feel damaged. I feel pretty good. Well, really? Let's look at what the Bible says about it. Now this is going to be a tough diagnosis, but it's going to end on an ultimate high note. So let's hear what God says. The Bible records that Adam and Eve both disobeyed when they partook of the tree of good and evil. And when they disobeyed, in the Garden of Eden, and partook of the one thing that God had forbidden them from touching, it was a sin, the first sin, to ever darken the human race. Sin. Now, just to be clear, what is sin? Sin is when you disobey God. Sin is when you disobey God. Sin happens when you disobey God. And it immediately cuts you off from fellowship with God. It immediately pollutes your spirit. It immediately damages your soul. You can't sin without being damaged. You can't disobey God without paying a high consequence. We live in a world of consequences, and God's Word is very clear about that, and we need to know that. The Bible also teaches that when they sinned, not only were they and their own lives radically changed, but watch this. The Bible says all their descendants, you and me, we all came originally from Adam and Eve. All of us were radically affected as well because of their sin. The Bible says, quote, in Romans 5, 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. That's what happened when sin tarnished God's creation. Now, I want you to understand today that until we do understand this fact, we're not ever going to understand people we're not ever going to understand our world, and we're not ever going to understand ourselves. 
Don't let Freud define you. You are not an id, an ego, and a superego. You are a body made by God, a soul made by God, and a spirit where God breathed his life into you. And until we understand what happened in the fall, we're not going to understand the world that's around us, and we're sure not going to understand ourselves. I hope today you understand yourself better when you understand what happened when the fall took place. It's a historic event. It was because of the tragic fall in the Garden of Eden that the first Christmas happened. It was because of that fall. It explains why we needed a Savior who would save His people from their sins. The first Christmas would never have had to happen if there hadn't been a fall. Did you know that right in the middle of the garden, just after the fall, God predicted the first Christmas? Did you know that? God predicted the first Christmas in the dawn of time, right after the fall. He declared to the devil, to the serpent, and to Adam and Eve that one day he would send a redeemer to undo what had just been done in the fall. It says in Genesis 3 verse 15, God told the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. Now listen to what God said to the serpent. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, that is the woman's descendant, male, he will wound your head and you will wound his feet. Now we know that Jesus dealt a death blow to Satan's head when he spilled his innocent blood. Satan was undone and lost his power over death, hell, and the grave. But we also know that Satan inspired Jesus' accusers to nail his heels to the cross. And he bruised his feet, just as God had said. But in bruising his feet, the feet of the Redeemer, he bruised himself and brought his own destruction because innocent blood was spilled. Now, what were the effects of fall upon mankind? Well, you know, we hear, well, yeah, they, they ate the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten in the Garden of Eden. And uh, so, yeah, okay, so what? How did the fall really affect you and me? What were the effects of the fall on us and how far-reaching was it? Now, let me take a look at that today because I want you to understand better the world around you and why it's violent and why it's nasty and why it's bitter and why it's angry and why it's hellish. Why is our world this way? It turns out that the fall was a cosmic catastrophe. The fall was a cosmic catastrophe. The effects of man's fall on men, on you and me, were both physical and moral. On the physical level, human beings became subject to pain and disease and to the bodily disintegration of old age. Every time you look in the mirror and there's more wrinkles than there were yesterday, you can thank Adam. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a word with Adam. Because of Adam's sin, we were subjected to pain, to disease, and to aging. It was never God's plan that we would have any of those. Do you understand that? God created a perfect world. He created a beautiful, incredible, stupendous, indescribable world in the beginning. But when Adam sinned, 
something tragic, something terrible, something dark and awesome and all-encompassing happened to God's creation. So we were subjected to pain, disease, old age. Because of the fall, mankind also became subject, listen carefully to this, to the separation of his soul from his body when he dies. It was never God's intention that we would die. Never God's intention we would look into a wooden casket at the body of a loved one. When God created man, he created eternal creatures, eternal beings made after his image. In the beginning, we were created to live forever. Please know that. We would never have died. In the Old Testament, before the flood, they lived to 700, 800, 900 years until sin continued to take its toll and the death age dropped from 800, 900 years to three score and ten, seventy. Listen to what it says. Adam's sin, the Bible says, brought death. So death spread to everyone. That's one of the consequences of the fall. No wonder that God sent His Son to save His people from their sins and the consequences of sin. Did you know, ladies, that part of woman's joy in bringing forth new life became mixed with the pangs of childbirth because of the fall? That if Adam and Eve had never fallen, you would have never had pain in childbirth? Say either amen or oh me. It was never God's intention that you would go through such agony in childbirth. I'll never forget it. It was terrible for me when Kathy was giving birth. I had to stand there forever. <laughs> you know, we went through all those Lamaze classes. We did all that and, you know, how to talk and how to breathe and, you know, the breathing thing. But when it came time, and I'm trying to remind her of what we learned, I can't tell you what I was told. It was bad. Shut up and give me some ice. And that's the easy part. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> it was never God's intention that a woman would feel that, go through that agony. That's not how God made it in the beginning. And what about work? What about labor? What about getting out there and earning a living? Was that affected? Did you know that in the beginning work was intended to be a source of joy for man and a means of communion with God? God created this beautiful garden and he told Adam to go and tend it and take care of it. And Adam had the unique joy of sitting there and watching things grow under the incredible process of sowing and reaping that God had created. And it was not labor. It was not work. It was joy and it was the way he communed with God. It was God's will for him. But after the fall, it says in Genesis 3.19, it had to be performed for the most part unwillingly in the sweat of his face. And the ground gave forth with much more difficulty because of the fall. That's why everybody's always looking forward to retiring, because you want to quit laboring. But that's not what God intended. It was supposed to be a source of joy. And I got to tell you, I'm not in manual labor, but I am in Emmanuel labor. And I love Emmanuel labor. When you serve the Lord, it is a joy. Amen? Now, that's all right. <clears throat> So all kinds of things changed because of the fall. 
Now, on the moral and the psychological level, man was also affected by the fall. Mankind became subject to frustration, to boredom, to depression, or what we would call futility. I want everybody to say with me, futility. Because futility is a Bible word. Futility is a result of the fall. And what does it mean? Futility means that you live in monotonous cycles of life without ever reaching true fulfillment. Life is futile. It's futility. It's the idea of the hamster on the wheel, constantly running but getting nowhere. The Bible says that man, instead of experiencing fulfillment and joy and purpose, lost that and life became futile. I'm on a wheel. And even though I'm working and laboring and struggling and striving and reaching, I'm not ending up fulfilled. That's why you can read about rich people, wealthy people, successful people, reaching the end of their days and saying, I've got it all and somehow I still feel empty. What was it all for? This is the futility that Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. Listen to these words. He said, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? And you know how many people reach the end of their life if they haven't walked with God and that's the way they feel? meaningless. What's it all for? What did I do it all for? I got my gold watch. I got my retirement, got my 401k, got my house, did what I thought I wanted to do, but there is yet in me an emptiness. The children of Israel, when they rebelled against God in the wilderness, the Bible says that God ended their days in futility and their years in terror. You see, when you're not walking with the Lord and you're under the sun, that means living life without God you will experience futility. Everything you do will have no real ultimate meaning because the only meaning you and I will ever have is when we find it in Him and we serve Him and live for Him and die for Him and give our energy for Him. Then there is eternal meaning. I don't want to reach the end of my days and I've prayed this many times. Lord, don't let me reach the end of my life and feel like something is still missing. See, I know in Him is life. And I know in Him is purpose. No wonder the angel announced to Joseph concerning Mary's child, she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will save His people from their sins and from living a life of futility. That's why I say, when you're young, embrace Jesus and serve Him all of your life. I'm so thankful that at 18 years old, I gave Jesus my whole life, and I started preaching in the same year, and I've been preaching for 37 years, most of my life, and it has not been futile or meaningless. I'm loaded with purpose. But you know what? Unfortunately, even this does not complete the list of consequences. Man also became his own worst enemy. Now I'm going to explain you to you. I'm going to tell you why you do the things you do. Man became his own worst enemy. You ever feel that way? Listen closely to Paul describing the inward condition brought on by the fall. He says, quote, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. I am able to choose with my will 
But how I am actually to carry out what is good, I don't know. For the good that I want to do is not what I end up doing. Did you ever feel that way? Anybody knows that feeling? Give me an amen. amen. The good that I want to do is not what I end up doing. But the evil that I don't want to do is exactly what I end up doing. I'm quoting the Bible. Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to get me out of this mess? He's describing that we were born with a fallen nature. Our nature, our inner person was corrupted by the fall. We inherited that from Adam so that we naturally sin. Here is Paul. He's not just saying there's a conflict within us between good and evil. He's not just saying we are conflicting with good and evil. He's saying that all too often we find ourselves morally paralyzed. We sincerely desire to choose the good, but we find ourselves caught in a situation where our choices result in evil. Have you ever said to yourself, why in the world do I keep doing what I'm doing? What is wrong with me? You ever say that to yourself? What in the world is wrong with me? See, here's the problem. When we inherited Adam's sin, we, inherit, we inherited a corrupted nature. We were not born good. We were born with a bent towards evil, a bent towards sin. Now, we do good things, but we constantly sin against God. Every human being on earth constantly sins against God. Man still had the image of God, but after the fall, it was tarnished. It was dimmed. There's a, there's a hint, there's a glimmer of godliness on us. We do good things. We, we can have compassion and we can feel uh, uh, love and we, and we can do something that we think is good. But deep down, there is something that pulls us and bends us towards sinning against God. And that's what happened in the fall. This is the condition we inherited from Adam and Eve. Now here's the Bible truth. Since we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, we all inherited their changed nature and that resulted from the fall. And that's why we all need a Savior to rescue us from the power and consequences of sin. That's why He sent Jesus on that first Christmas morn. He didn't just come to be born in a manger and cry and make us feel sorry for Him. He came to break us free from the fall, from sin, and from its consequences, and to redeem us and carry us to glory and restore us to the Eden we lost. Because we all, all inherited a corrupt nature, there is an inherent tendency inside of us to sin. Listen to what the Bible says. All have sinned and continuously fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Listen to all the nuns here. And I don't mean N-U-N. I mean N-O-N-E. Listen to the nuns. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God, not one. There is none who d does good, no, not even one. None, none, none. Look around you. Is this really a shock? Doesn't what you see with your eyes confirm the Bible record of man? The condition of our world, the evil actions of people continuously confirm the Bible's record. I've told you, we love to watch forensic files. I record forensic files religiously. You say, why do you watch that? I wonder that myself. <laughs> because it's like a little 30-minute, it's like a little 30-minute murder mystery every single time. But here's what gets me about forensic files. It always shows a murder. 
And it shows eventually who committed the murder and how they were discovered by forensic science. But here's the deal. You will see the rich, the powerful, the, the smart, the brilliant, the gifted, the educated, the talented. Those who seem to have the world by the tail and have it all. Yet you see them fall. You see them do stupid things. You see them murder, kill, steal, lie, deceive. You watch it every time. And you know why I think I like the forensic files? Because it confirms the Bible record about people and our nature. That you can have everything and you're still going to sin. There is something within us that causes us, that leads us to sin. And Jesus said the fall was so devastating that the Bible places every single person in the category of dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead in your soul, dead in your spirit. You are still suffering from the fall. You have not been plugged into the life of God. Can I tell you the truth about us? The Bible says that until we are born again, we are walking dead people. Our spirits are dead. We're not plugged into God. If I had a lamp right here uh, with a plug, but it was unplugged, and I held it up, and I said, now this bulb was meant to shine. This bulb was meant to be lit, but it's not lit. It's dead. And even though I can talk about the bulb and say that bulb looks good, and that bulb is supposed to shine, and that bulb has potential, yet until that bulb is plugged into an electric source, it is dead it will never shine it will never live your soul without Christ is dead and you've got potential yes and you're there yes but you're not lit you don't have the life of God flowing through you because the the socket is Jesus Christ and in him is life and the life was the light of men so you've got to be born again. Jesus said the, the, the condition of people because of the fall without me is so sobering that Jesus said you're going to have to be born twice, born again. You're going to have to be born again by the Spirit of God. You're going to have to come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And he sends his Spirit into your heart and your Spirit receives the life of God for the very first time because he's the key that unlocks the door to the life of God. I am the way, he said, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, and you will never be delivered from the consequences of the fall until you come to him. This is serious stuff, everybody. And those of you listening by radio, you may be in church. You may have listened to lots of Bible studies, but have you been born again? Have you in here been born again? Or do you just know about him? You have to be, because until you are, you're spiritually dead. Now, what about, what about the creation? Did the fall affect creation? Oh, i got to tell you, it affected creation profoundly, the fall. Listen to Romans 8, 21. The creation itself was subjected to frailty, futility, and frustration. The whole creation was subjected to the same futility that people experience when they don't live for God. You know how the creation of God is experiencing futility? It is not living the way God intended. It is not experiencing what God originally created. There is a futility to creation. One of the questions we often hear, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, is why does God allow tornadoes, hurricanes, lightning, typhoons, floods, and earthquakes, and all these other natural disasters, why does he allow that 
to destroy billions of dollars of resources every year and take thousands of lives. Well, to understand those kind of storms and what we see in creation all the time, you've got to understand the consequences of the fall. Because of the fall, creation was subjected to futility. In the beginning, man was created to live and never die, and he was placed in a perfect environment. God is real green. God is the ultimate environmentalist. But he's not an environmentalist wacko. God is a true environmentalist. He made a perfect environment. Free of germs, there were no germs. There was no disease. And you know what, everybody? There were no violent acts of nature like we have in our world today. Did you know that? When God created the environment Adam and Eve first lived in, there were no tornadoes, hurricanes, lightning, typhoons, floods, or earthquakes, or any other destruction by nature. It wasn't there. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Because when God looked at all that he had made, he said, it is good. You can't tell me he'd look at an earthquake that swallowed people up, or he'd look at storms that kill people and wreak havoc and say, that's good. No, the Bible teaches that when the fall happened, nature went into, into travail. That's what happened. And if you think nature doesn't react to spiritual realities, think again. Remember when Jesus was being hung on the cross? The Bible says the sky became black as midnight. All the world was mourning as the Son of God hung on the cross. And remember Jesus' prediction. Nature will go into chaos before my return, he said. Nature is in travail as a woman with child. Nature is travailing right now. Jesus said, when I come preceding my return, the sun is going to be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Nature will be manifesting physically what is happening spiritually. And you know what the good news about all this is? And I needed to hear this because I have dogs. And I've wondered so often, Lord, if my dogs aren't in heaven with me. Now, I know what you're thinking. Now, Pastor Jeff, don't tell me they're going to heaven like you and me. Well, I'm not necessarily saying that, but they got a deliverance coming. Can I read it to you? they got a deliverance coming. Amen. So my little Ollie and my chihuahuas, they got a deliverance coming. All of nature has a deliverance coming. Listen to what it says. Romans 8, 21. Nature itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and corruption and gain an entrance into the glorious freedom of God's children. That's what it says. Now, Kathy and I were going on a little walk yesterday, and my dog, uh, Ollie, is a terrier. And, and she said, you know what he's like? You remember that movie called Bill and Ted's or somebody's Excellent Adventure? She said, every walk is Ollie's Excellent Adventure to him. Just to be able to go on a walk is just heaven. I mean, he just goes crazy. And I thought, you know, surely a beautiful creature like this. God has a plan. And then I read, nature is going to be set free from this futility. And they are going to gain an entrance into the glorious freedom of God's children. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the first Christmas needed to happen to save us from our sins. And to deliver the earth from what sin did. You know, Isaiah spoke about what's coming even more. And I want you to listen to this as we head towards the close. Listen to the way he describes all hostility and aggression being removed from the creation. 
He said, in that day, the wolf and the lamb are going to live together. The leopard is going to lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with a lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. Listen to this. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Predatoriness and carnivorous activity will be gone. And I know that's the way it was. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain because when Jesus comes back, all hostility in creation will be removed. No wonder he said you'll call his name Jesus. He's going to save you from your sins. I'm going to tell you a quick story in closing. We lived in East Texas for a number of years. And we lived on four acres uh, that had a creek that ran through it. And every spring, this creek would flow over its banks. I mean, just like a rushing river. And I noticed one particular day, one spring, that the waters began to subside. The sun came out. The rain ended. And I noticed there was lots of little puddles out there near the creek but now separated from the creek and they were their own little puddles and I noticed from a distance a flash of light from one of them so I walked up and looked down in there and here it was full of fish who had been trapped as the water ebbed now I looking at them said this to myself they're terminal because in a couple of days if a raccoon doesn't get them the sun is going to vaporize this water and it's going to soak into the mud and they're going to die. They have no hope. They're doomed. And I said to myself, I'm going to rescue them. Now, when I said that, they didn't know it. They're just swimming around in there oblivious to their doom. They didn't know I was going to rescue them. But I said, I will rescue them. So I went up to my house and I got a dip net and I came back down with a dip net and I began to pursue them and but what I discovered was they did not want to be pursued <laughs> and so I decided I'm going to pursue them anyway because they don't understand their condition they're doomed they're going to die they're going to perish soon and so I pursued them and they fought me and I would get them in the little net and they would fight and kick out and flip out and go hide in the shadows of the puddle. I pursued them still. Now when I decided to save them, that was grace. When I pursued them, that was mercy. And finally I got these little fish in my dip net, ran to the creek, and threw them into freedom and liberty and life and a future. What the Christmas story says is that Jesus was God's dip net. God looked down and we didn't know it. But God saw that we were doomed. We were in the fall. And our natures carried us down. 
And we were certainly doomed, headed for destruction. And we were without God, as Paul said, and in the world without hope. But while we were yet sinners, God sent the dipnet. And he was born in a manger. And we fight him, don't we? He came looking for us, and if you're like me, I ran every which way but loose to get away from what I knew was coming at me. But I did not understand my peril. Grace sent Jesus. And by grace, you're saved. And when you run from him, mercy pursues you. And when you finally give in and quit and say, okay, catch me, you find that he picks you up, he carries you to the rivers of life, and he drops you in. And you're free. You say, oh man, I wish I'd yielded to him sooner. I want you to stand with me today, would you? Can you say with me, I needed a Savior because I was doomed. Thank God, and I don't mean this sacrilegiously, but thank God that he sent such a beautiful dip net. How many of you can say, I'm so thankful he caught me? All right. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you looked on our condition and when we didn't even know it, you decreed that Jesus would come and die for us. And Lord, he's in hot pursuit of every soul. And we pray, Lord, that today not only anyone in here who is away from you will come to you, but anybody listening by radio or anyone who gets this CD Lord, in the name of Jesus, help them to say, I come to you, Lord, and I receive the grace and the mercy of God. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment, let me talk right to you. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord. I know what it is to really walk close with Him, but I've gotten away. I've just step by step, incrementally gotten away from God, and I need prayer. And I'll let you pray for me today because I know the Spirit of God has been dealing with me to come home to Him. Or maybe today you've never truly been born again. You have to be to enter the kingdom of God. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to repent of your sin. And you have got to say, Lord, come into my heart and forgive me and be my Savior. If you've never done that, you're unplugged. But you can get plugged in today to God's life and I want to pray with you I don't know if there's one or if there's many but if there was just one it'd be worth the service but with our heads bowed if you can say pastor I'm in one of those two categories and I want to leave this building today having made peace with God I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are put it up and let me pray for you put it high I see you God bless you God bless you and you and back there I'm going to ask that everyone whose hand is raised, I want you to do something. I want you to slip out from where you are and come down and stand in front of me right here. Don't worry about what people think. It doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks. If you're with somebody and you want them to come with you, just look down and say, walk down there with me. But if you're by yourself, I tell you, the moment you take one step, you're not alone. Because Jesus, 
who's been chasing you for a long time is going to walk down here with you. So if you need to come, you come now as we sing. Do it now and don't wait. Don't give up this moment. You may never have another moment like this one. Not ever. So come now as we worship. We're going to wait.